Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God that leads us and guides us, instructs us. Lord, we pray that we would have a heart that's willing to receive and a mind that understands what it is that you're trying to speak to us. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us a sensitivity to sin, a willingness to repent, and a desire to serve you with our whole heart. And Heavenly Father, as we read Samuel's farewell sermon, Lord, I pray that we would listen with fresh ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you said to me, and have made a king over you. And now here is the king walking before you, and I'm old and gray-headed. And look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. And they said, you haven't cheated us or oppressed us, or have, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. Then he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron, and who brought your fathers from the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and your fathers. And when Jacob had gone into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord, their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hatsor, into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. And now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we will serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel. Badan, Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelt in safety. And when you saw Nahash, king of the Ammonites, come against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Now, therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired, and take note. The Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, 
then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Now, therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is today not the wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord and he will send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord and asking a king for yourselves. So Samuel called to the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord, your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. Then Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. <clears throat> the writer of Samuel is far more concerned about theology than chronology. As a matter of fact, we go back to 1 Samuel chapter 8 and chapter 9, where it describes the people crying out to God, or actually crying out to Samuel for a king. Now remember, they've rejected the kingship of Jehovah. And in a sense, they've rejected the leadership of Samuel. And, and what is happening is Samuel is transferring power to the new regime. Part of the thing that we're looking at, even in this sermon, is a transfer from one type of government into another type of government. The children of Israel, since the time of Moses and then Joshua, after the time of Joshua, they've broken up into tribal units. And these tribes have been interdependent and independent. And for 500 years, they've had a series of judges. I suspect Samuel is disappointed. I suspect that he hoped that one of his sons who were right there would follow in his father's footsteps. The 12 tribes, like I said, have been under the authority of this particular form of leadership and government for a very long time. And so the chapter is basically going to deal with two things, a leader's integrity and a nation's iniquity. And with those two things, we're reminded of two more things, two essentials, two necessities as we walk through life. And that is, number one, to maintain a sense and a sensitivity to sin and a willingness to repent before God. And number two, faithful service to God. 
So the sum and the substance of this particular person's sermon, Samuel's sermon, is repentance before God and faithful service to God. One of the great privileges we have as Christians is that we know that we are chosen and adopted and accepted in the Beloved. According to the book of Ephesians, we are in Christ. Those of us who have come to Christ, we are in Christ and we are known and seen and beloved by the Lord. The unbeliever rejects God and lives selfishly and sinfully. So... We begin with the integrity, the character of the minister. Look at verse 1. Now Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you said to me and have made a king over you. You know, a leader listens. A leader listens even when he doesn't like what the people he's leading or she's leading what they're saying. A thoughtful leader is going to pay close attention. Even when people are talking about things that are difficult to accept. And that's exactly what has happened for Samuel. And in verse 2, he says, And now here is the king walking before you, and I am old and gray-headed, and look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. You know, preachers are taught when they learn how to make sermons, to never make themselves the object of the sermon or use themselves as an illustration. Samuel is the exception that proves the rule, if you will. He begins by talking about his own ministry and his own integrity. He has listened. He has listened to the Lord. He's even listened to them and selected Saul even over his own sons, and he is old. By the way, even though Samuel, the seer, is old, his ministry isn't quite over with. There are still some things that are not yet quite done. Now, by the way, when you're young, it makes perfect sense that there comes a time when the old guy needs to move on. And then one morning you wake up And you're the old guy. Your hair is gray. And by the way, one of the great challenges of the older minister is to not just simply assess his or her ministry. It's to think carefully and finish well. You know, I've been involved in Calvary Chapel for for well over 30 years now. And what I am seeing in Calvary Chapel is the graying of the ministry. And it's interesting to me that when I see the graying of the ministry and as people begin the final phase, if you will, of the closing years of their ministry, there's two things that I think about of my fellow servants that I happen to have grown up with. And the reoccurring theme is I want to be able to finish the ministry and not be ashamed of what, I, what I've done. I want to be able to finish the ministry and know that I have served the Lord and that I've served Him well. You know, wouldn't it be great to be able to say with Jesus like He prayed in John chapter 17, verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. 
Isn't that everybody's prayer? I did exactly what you asked me to do. I embraced the ministry that you gave to me. I have glorified Jesus. I want to be able to hear my father say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so here is Samuel. And he's telling the people about his integrity. And in verse three, he says, here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. In this particular instance, the anointed happens to be the king. It's Saul. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? From whom have I cheated? Who have I oppressed? From whose hand have I received any bride with which to blind my eyes? I will restore to you. He is in effect saying what most people could never say. Has there ever been a time ever in the leadership that I have exercised that I stole from you, that I took from you, that I injured you, that I took advantage of you? And he's calling on the people to witness and say, if I have taken anything from anyone, I'm willing to make it right, right at this very moment. Can you imagine given the circumstances that we have in our own society? Can you imagine a politician or a business leader like the former head of Quest going, when did I ever rip anybody off? When did I engage in illegal practices? When will they come to arrest me? No, that's, that's obviously not the speech that he had. Imagine Bernie Madoff, who managed to steal more money than it has ever been stolen by an individual ever before. Imagine the former governor of Illinois, who tries to sell the, 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 the former senator's Senate seat for money. Imagine him standing up and saying, when did I rip you off? When did I engage in a backroom deal? You see, one of the great temptations that all leaders have is to abuse their power. It's to take advantage of the ministry and the gift and the service that God has provided for them. And so Samuel reminds the people of his own personal integrity. And the reason? It's going to be very, very difficult to take instruction from a person who hasn't exercised personal integrity. Many, many, many years later, Jesus himself in John chapter 8, verse 46, he would stand before the people and he would say, which of you convicts me of sin? The answer? No one. The which person could call attention to some wicked or inappropriate thing that Jesus had done? I thank God that we don't have to have that meeting here. Because if I said, which of you convicts me of sin? My wife could stand up. Many of you could stand up and say, no problem. I, I even brought the list. There's only one advantage to being a sinner. And that's having a savior. That's having a person who's willing to love us and forgive us. Samuel was a man of integrity. 
the man standing next to him, Saul, would eventually turn out to be a man of hypocrisy and duplicity and animosity. But I often wonder as I read the speech, here is Samuel giving the sermon. Saul almost certainly is very close by. And I wonder what effect that speech had on his life. Because here is Samuel from the time that he's a little boy as he in submission and humility, works and serves the Lord. And in verse 4, it says, And they said, You haven't cheated us. You haven't oppressed us. You haven't taken anything from anyone's hand. The people declared Samuel is innocent of all wrongdoing. He's lived a life of personal and public faithfulness. And then in verse 5, it says, Then he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and is anointed as a witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, he is witness. Samuel, as leader and servant, has exercised and built a reputation of integrity and credibility. One of the most difficult things it is for any business leader, any church leader, any political leader, is to stand up and ask a really hard question question. And that is, what do people think about me? How do they judge me? How do they evaluate me? And the reason, of course, without integrity, without credibility, it's very, very difficult for anyone to listen as you analyze a particular situation. And that's exactly what Samuel is going to have to do. Because once again, he's going to call the people, even in the midst of this great victory that has taken place. And this becomes an important point for each and every one of you, particularly when you offer advice in circumstances. You, we need to be able to ask the question, do I have credibility and integrity in order to speak to a particular situation? <laughs> Samuel is going to do just that. And as he gives his sermon, he's going to begin with a little historical review. It begins with the content of his speech. Look in verse 6. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now you need to understand, even at the beginning of this particular circumstance, it is the Lord, he contrasts. It is Moses and Aaron were men selected and appointed by God. The children of Israel, as they were in bondage in Egypt, they didn't hold elections and then elect Moses to be their savior or to elect Moses to be their deliverer. This was a leader that was appointed by God. And then in verse 7, it says, Now therefore stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. It may be difficult for you to understand, but I, I'm going to suggest something to you. We are given an interesting historical insight with this little phrase. Now therefore stand still, that I may reason with you. You know, in our judicial system, when court begins... The bailiff or the officer comes out and says, hear ye, hear ye, the court is now in session. And remember, the, the judge comes out and the gavel hits 
the bench and you know that court is about to proceed. I'm going to suggest to you that that, that, that's exactly what's happening. Samuel isn't just simply preaching a sermon. He's holding court. And when he says, stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord, that expression, stand still, carries with it the idea, shut up, be quiet, stay put. Because you and I are going to have a little come to Jesus meeting. Court's in session. And the word reason is a judicial term. It doesn't just simply mean let's think this through together. It means literally in the original language, it's a word that was used to describe a case that was currently in, in litigation. It was used to describe a situation when you would go before the bench and the decision needed to be rendered. Like a lawyer pleading his case, Samuel is going to present evidence for the people to consider. And the goal of Samuel is to present compelling reason to prove to the people that God had dealt with them justly and righteously and fairly. In other words, the real God, the true God, was a righteous God, a faithful God. And because he's a righteous God and a faithful God, he should be treated like a righteous God and a faithful God. And this has immediate application to each and every person. Because sometimes you find yourself in a circumstance where you're facing a hardship. Where you've been diagnosed with a disease. Or they're coming to foreclose on your house. Or your husband or your wife is getting ready to leave. You find yourself in the grip of a terrible time. And you wonder whether or not God is just and righteous and fair. And it usually expresses itself any time that you quietly or loudly say the words, This isn't fair. Lord, what, what have I done? I, I don't feel like I'm being treated fairly. I, I don't think that I'm being dealt faithfully or righteously. I've read the scripture where it says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging bread. Then why am I in trouble? And Samuel's going to give a speech. He's going to present a sermon. But in the course of that speech in that sermon, he's going to remind them, guess what? God is faithful. By the way, the children of Israel weren't. They were faithless. They were rebellious. They were disobedient. The Lord had made covenants with Abraham and the Lord had made covenants with Isaac and Jacob and Moses. And the Lord had established a covenant with not all the nations or some of the nations, the Lord singled out one nation and one nation only to be a peculiar people. And Israel's obedience to the covenant made possible the blessings of God for that people and that nation. And the blessings included you'll be able to live in the promised land. You'll have protection from your enemies. You'll have fruitful fields. You'll have fruitful flocks. You'll have a, multi a, a, a great Multitude of herds, your, your family will increase. If the people failed to obey the Lord, the blessings would be taken away. 
That's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and Deuteronomy chapter 29 and Deuteronomy chapter 30 and Leviticus chapter 26. And I know what some of you are thinking. Who reads Deuteronomy? I make an attempt to read the Bible every year and I I start off really good and I get to Genesis and I'm going pretty good until I hit the genealogy and it's like a wall. But somehow I gut it out and I keep going forward and I remember Exodus because it's just like the movie. And then I get to Leviticus and all of a sudden I'm starting to get cold chills and my hands starting to sweat and I'm reading and I'm going, what in the world does this mean? I don't know what Leviticus says in chapter 26. But every Jew knew. But for some inexplicable reason, the roller coaster ride of disobedience was attended by every generation. And it's still an inexplicable circumstance for the people of God. Haven't you ever sit there and go, Lord, I know, I know that this is what I need to do. And I know that this is what's right. And I know this is what's good. And I know that this is what's an important thing to do. But then you cry out like Paul, the apostle in the book of Romans, where he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of flesh? That which I want to do, I don't do. And that which I don't want to do, I do. Oh, man, it is really bad. Paul writes and he goes, you may think that it's bad, but guess what? It is a remarkable evidence of the presence of God and the Holy Spirit in your life. Remember, before you became a Christian, when you were concerned and convicted about things that you should or shouldn't do, you just sat there and went, well, if I can reasonably get away with this, I'm going to try and get away with it. But now that you've given your life to Christ, you ask a brand new question. Lord, this is wrong. Isn't it? And look what it says in verse 8. As he relates the history, when Jacob had gone into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place in verse nine. And when they forgot the Lord, their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hatzor, which is in the middle of the country and which was which was held into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And in verse 10, then they cried out to the Lord and they said, we've sinned because we've forsaken the Lord and we've served Baals and Ashtaroths and now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we will serve you. Same thing. Doing good, then doing bad. Doing good, then doing bad. Have you ever cried out to the Lord? I mean, really. Like, for real, cried out. I was thinking about this when I was preparing this message and When I was doing my radio program, I I was thinking about Psalm 107. And if you have a moment, just turn there for a second. Those of you who are are familiar with with Psalm 107, it's, it's so interesting on so many different levels. The psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. And then there's an interesting thing that takes place. It basically says in verse 6, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And then it says in verse 13, 
Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And then in verse 19, it says, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And then in verse 28, it says, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. If you read the verses right before verse 6 and verse 13 and verse 19 and verse 28, it's a series of stanzas where the people have lost their way and they feel like an envelope of darkness is surrounding them and they feel trapped in rebellion. They feel like they're lost at sea. And I know some of you might be thinking, I wonder if the Lord gets sick and tired of me saying, Lord, I'm crying out to you. And I'm here to tell you that the Lord isn't annoyed or troubled or disturbed or upset when you cry out to him. Because the message is clear that no matter how hurt you are, no matter how oppressed you are, no matter how troubled you are, no matter how bleak the darkness, no matter how substantive the rebellion, no matter how difficult it seems as you're drowning in a sea, perhaps of even your own making, and you cry out to God, He hears you. And He cares about you. For those who perpetuate injustice and for those who oppress the poor, God hears the cries of the wounded and the needy. And He continues in in verse 11, He says, And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Badan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you dwelt in safety, Jerubbabel, is a word that means let Baal contend for himself. And it's another name that's given in the Bible for Gideon. And Badan is probably Barak. And Samuel, of course, includes himself in this list of people who are the final judges because that seems to be the protocol and the circumstances that took place over and over and over again. The Lord was faithful and the Lord was righteous and the Lord was just and the Lord worked and the Lord saved and the Lord delivered those who cried out to Him for salvation. Over and over and over again, you'll remember in the book of Judges, people did whatever it is that they wanted to do. And then pretty soon they would be caught up in the circumstances. They would become enslaved to their own sin. And then they would cry out to God for salvation. Millions of people have experienced freedom and forgiveness because they cried out to God. You did. Remember when you cried out to Him and He came And He delivered you. Remember when the weight of sin was so awful you couldn't bear it? Remember when the bondage of addiction dictated to you how you were going to get up in the morning and how you were going to live your life in emptiness and 
futility and Jesus comes and sin is removed and you experience freedom from drug addiction and alcohol addiction and pornography and immorality and gluttony and greed and covetousness and filthy language and sexual perversion and false worship and lazy behavior and hatred and hostility and depression and the list could go on and on and on. But God delivered you. Because you cried out to Him. The things that enslave us, the things too numerous to list, but we have hope. And we can experience deliverance. We have deliverance in the Gospel, and we have deliverance in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have deliverance in the Word of God, and we have deliverance because the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of our hearts has been given to us so we can walk, not in futility, but in freedom. And in verse 12, it says, And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No! But a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Now he he confronts them with the sin over and over again. God has been righteous. God has been faithful. God has been just. God has been good. God has been there. And at the first sight. And the first sign. That well, maybe God isn't going to be there. Maybe now we're going to experience a currency collapse and a government collapse. Why, things have never been worse than they are now. I know that that's how some of you think and some of you believe. But there is a handful of people here who either experienced or heard firsthand the difficulty and the pain and the challenges from the 1930s. You know, my parents were way too young to get married. My mother was 15 years old when she became impregnated with me. And 16 when she had me. And my father was only 18 years old. They were children. They didn't know what they were doing. And so most of the first three years of my life were spent with my grandparents who spoke no English whatsoever. And then my other set of grandparents were hobos during the Depression. And on my mother's side, my, my granny would say, yes, when I, when I became pregnant with your mother, I said to your grandfather, we're going to have to stop riding the rails and you're going to have to get a real job. It was the Depression. And things were really, really hard. You may not know this, but in the 1940s, one out of every three soldiers who died at Normandy Beach were wearing shoes that were brand new and they had never owned a pair of brand new shoes in their life. Problems? Pain? Sacrifice? Yes. Are we experiencing more pain and more horror and more sorrow than has ever been experienced ever before? No. The book of Judges speaks of the seven cycles of disobedience during the years. Remember how this, the, the cycle of disobedience went. It's found in Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 23. There would be disobedience. Then there would be discipline. And then there would be deliverance. Disobedience. Discipline. Deliverance. 
disobedience, discipline, deliverance. It's, it's almost like a bad record. But it becomes the perfect record of our life as well. You disobey the Lord. He disciplines you. And you cry out. You disobey the Lord. He disciplines you. And you cry out. And remember, the Bible makes it abundantly clear. You should be glad. You should be you should rejoice because the very fact that some of us experience the discipline of God, it means that he knows us and loves us and counts us as his children. You know, you're living in a bad neighborhood when your neighbor disciplines your children. You're supposed to discipline your children. And so the object of Samuel's sermon God always provided a leader when one was needed and the nation would not have needed a judge if they would judge themselves and if they were faithful to the covenant and if they remained faithful to the commandments, then it wouldn't be that way. The cycle would be broken. And based on the history of Israel and based on God's love and based on God's faithfulness and based on God's deliverance, what was supposed to be their right and reasonable response? The people should have expressed gratitude and faith and trust and obedience. It's okay for you to do an inventory even now. And ask yourself this question. Based on the history of God in your life, based on His love for you, and based on His faithfulness to you, and based on the deliverance that He has provided for you, when you face pain, and you face sorrow, and you face challenge, and you face intimidation, what's the reasonable response? God has always been good, and God has always been faithful. And even if I have less, I'm going to be grateful for what I have. And even if things don't turn out exactly how I suspected they were going to turn out, I am going to faithfully love him and trust him and obey him. Samuel's message, the people should have trusted the Lord and they should have trusted his continued care. They should have confessed it confessed their sin. They should have confessed their unbelief. They should have confessed, it, confessed and trusted him alone. But when Nahash, the Ammonite king, threatened the people, they asked for a king. They were willing to exchange the rule of God for the rule of a mere human being. They were willing to exchange their covenant with God to be ruled by a man. And the Lord God gave them what they asked for. But guess what? They received the short end of the stick. And sometimes you're willing to settle for so much less. Well, this is what I think I need. I think I need this job, or I think I need this relationship, or I think I need this support. Now, don't get me wrong. It's okay to want to have a job. It's okay to want to have a relationship. It's okay to want to supply for the needs of your family. Here's where it becomes problematic. It's where you're willing to to compromise 
your deeply held convictions concerning the reality of who God is that it becomes problematic. They were willing to exchange their covenant with God to be ruled by something as silly as a human being. Guess what? Each and every one of you who know and love the Lord, you've entered into a covenant with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus calls this covenant a new and an everlasting covenant. This isn't a covenant based on obedience to a set of rules and sacrifice of animals, but rather this is a covenant based on the grace of God and the mercy of God in the person of Jesus who's given his life for you. And he's risen from the dead for you. He sent the Holy Spirit for you. He's loved you, forgiven you, and given you a place in heaven. He can be trusted. Samuel is accusing the people of a very, very serious sin. He's charging the people with having rejected the Lord. You know, it's impossible for a pastor, it's impossible for a preacher... It's impossible for a person to confront another person unless there's some sort of credibility in their own life. It makes perfect sense to me that you would sit there and you would go, what gives Gino the right to say the things that he's saying? Who made him the pastor? It is with deep fear and deep trepidation that whenever I have to bring things to your attention, make no mistake about it, God has brought it to my attention and to my heart. And I have had to go through the crucible and the fire myself. In verse 13, Samuel says, Now therefore, here's the king whom you've chosen and whom you've desired, and take note, The Lord has set a king over you. Do you understand what's happening? The people are getting exactly what they wanted. And Samuel is reminding them, well, what will happen if the people change their mind again? Well, okay, what if we decide that we don't want this king? Well, guess what? He is the king. He's God's king. The government that you've asked for is the government that you've received. And some of you are thinking, I didn't ask for this current administration. Hey, guess what? Almost invariably, a people get the leadership that they deserve. And they get the leadership that they've asked for. The people have asked for a king. And they received a king. But I want you to think about this for just a moment. Even in spite of all of that, is there hope? The answer is yes. And the reason why, the leadership may have transferred from prophet to king, but there's still hope because the Lord has never taken off guard. The the Lord knows everything. The Lord won't abandon his children for his name's sake. The Lord will continue to love them. The Lord will continue to care for them. The Lord will use this king to discipline them and direct them and protect them. And so he begins 
if you will, and continues. He says, if you fear the Lord, look at verse 14. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and don't rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reign over you will continue following the Lord your God. Here's what he does. He lays out the choice before them. Look. Things are difficult. You've made a bad choice. But Samuel is unflinching in his exposure of their sin and their wickedness. He's not afraid to challenge them to repent and obey the Lord. He says, this has happened. It was wrong. Have you ever heard the expression, if there's one thing we learn from history, it's we don't learn from history. If there's one thing... That we learn from history is that there are people who are doomed to repeat the failures. And so in verse 15, it says, however, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. It's a very simple sermon. Obedience brings favor. Disobedience brings judgment. Obey him. No. Okay, don't. Well, what will happen if I don't? You're going to experience judgment. You mean am I going to rot in hell? For the sin of continued unbelief, the answer is yeah. Well, what if I just make a miserable, stupid mistake? You have a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. It's to confess your sin. Turn from your sin. Obey the Lord. Obedience brings favor. Disobedience brings judgment. It's really pretty simple. The way I put it, rejecting God invites judgment. Accepting the Lord invites grace and mercy and forgiveness and hope. You don't have to be a theological scholar to figure this one out. It's like ignoring and neglecting the Lord means we risk judgment. When we disobey the Lord and we disobey the commandments of the Lord, when we live wicked lives, we face the judgment of God. And for some reason, every generation believes that they're the generation that can sin with impunity and that God will somehow make an exception in their case. Well, I know that it went really bad for the children of Israel. But it's not going to go bad for me, right? I mean, after all, I live in America. After all, I've led a basically good life, if you don't count all of those wicked things that I've done. But look what it says in verse 16. Now, therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. You know, way before global warming and climate uh, control. It's really interesting. Samuel says in verse 17, is today not the wheat harvest? I will call to the Lord and he'll send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking a king for yourselves. Is it really as bad as you're making out, Samuel? By the way, the wheat harvest is the dry season in Israel. The dry season in Israel begins mid-May and ends mid-June. 
As a matter of fact, when the scripture says, is today not the wheat harvest? I looked at my what? June 10th. Wow. It is the wheat harvest. Right now is the wheat harvest in Israel, even as we're speaking. Now, you've got to understand something. The dry season in mid-May to mid-June means no rain. As a matter of fact, the last time we were in Israel, someone had said it had rained three times that year. Some, some amazing statement. And it rains the day that we're there. We were actually... Um, making our way through Jerusalem and we come to the to where um, the Temple Mount is and we're looking at the Temple Mount and all of a sudden the, 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 the storm gathers, the cloud gather, it begins to pour rain and then right when we get there the cloud breaks and there's a rainbow over Jerusalem. During this time, never rain. Never, never rained. And then in verse 18, so Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Now this is what's called in the ministry business, praying up a storm. But it's praying up a storm for a reason. Moses had called out to the Lord and miracles took place in Egypt. Samuel is now going to prove to the people of God that God is in the business of proving his word and that to trust him and obey him is a great idea. He calls on the Lord to confirm the miracle and a miracle takes place. And under the most amazing circumstances, you've cried out to the Lord. And God showed up. He's answered your prayer. And then in verse 19, it says, And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of asking for a king ourselves. Now, it sounds very much like Pharaoh when he begged Moses. Remember, Pharaoh came to Moses and said, Stop the frogs. Stop the lice. Stop the darkness. Please, Moses, we're begging you. Send the plagues away. The people begged Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we might not die. I have a question for you. Sincere or insincere? Are they genuinely, truly, really repentant? What do you think? I have good news and bad news for you. Ready? We have no idea. We have no way of knowing the sincerity or the insincerity of anybody's heart. The only heart that you know the truth about is your own. And even then, sometimes your heart deceives us. The Bible says that our heart is wicked and who can know it? Have you ever cried out to God and said, Lord, I'm, I really mean it this time. I'm headed on the straight and narrow path. I'm going to abandon my sin. I'm going to repent of my sin. And I'm going to do exactly what you want me to do. 
the most important question that you can ask isn't whether your husband or your wife or your brother or your sister or your boss or your pastor is sincere or insincere. The most important thing that you can ask is, am I sincere or am I insincere? Do I mean business with God when I say I'm willing to turn from my sin and I'm willing to embrace all that you have for me? If the people continued to reject the Lord, they would face a terrifying judgment. And in verse 20 it says, Then Samuel said to the people, Do not fear. You've done all this wickedness. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. This is great. The people have confessed their sin. We did it and it was wrong. They confessed their sin of rejecting God and accepting an earthly king. Samuel has confronted them in their sin and the people have accepted that and repented. Now it's time to point the people to the Lord. And the message is simple and straight. Don't be afraid. Now, this is maybe the heart of the message. You ready? Listen to the counsel of the seer. Here's the message of Samuel. Move from fear to fear not. I'm terrified about the consequences of the really rotten and stupid and wicked things that I've decided to do. Do you understand that was wrong? Yes. Are you willing to turn from your sin and turn to the Lord? Yes then don't be afraid. Samuel encourages the people to accept their situation. Now, I want you to understand something that's happening here. Samuel encourages the people to accept the situation. Their unbelief has brought them into a less than optimum service. But remember, their repentance and their willingness to trust the God of heaven and the true and the living God has resulted in deliverance for them. Samuel says, you've done all of this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Here is the idea. Make the best of the circumstance that you find yourself in. And the moment that you start toying with the idea, well, I've already blown it, so I might as well just continue to blow it. Bad idea. It's always a bad idea to continue in your sin because you think, well, I've already blown it. It doesn't really matter. No, Samuel was saying it really does matter. So my advice, my advice always. Purpose in your heart to discover what is the right thing to do right now in your life. In spite of every wrong choice that you have ever made. What has your wickedness and your unbelief brought for you? Since I know some of you, and since I know some of your circumstances, I know that wickedness and unbelief for some of you have brought a failed marriage. It's brought a mountain of debt. It's brought what seems like an uncontrollable addiction. I know that for some of you, you have gotten what you asked for, but you didn't really mean it. And now you're saying, 
but I didn't really mean it, and now I want it to go away. But remember what the Bible says, God is not mocked. What a person sows, that they will also reap. If you've sown a wheat crop, chances are you're going to get wheat. If you've sown corn, you're going to get corn. And if you've sown wind, you're going to get the whirlwind. And he lays it down in verse 21. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver. They are nothing. Listen carefully. Samuel lays down the conditions for real, true repentance. It isn't just simply acknowledging your sin, although that is important. It isn't just simply turning from your sin and turning to God. That, too, is important. You must not turn away from the Lord. That's what he's saying. And do not turn aside. Once that you've made the decision, I am letting go of this sin and I am turning to the Lord and I'm going to hold on for dear life and I'm not going to forsake him again. Serve him. Serve him not with half a heart, but whole heart. Turn away from the idol. Turn away from the false worship. He basically says, They are empty. They are useless. They can't help you. They won't rescue you. And then in verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Look at that text for the Lord will not forsake his people. After 30 years in the ministry, you know what I've always wanted to do? Answer people's questions. People will come to me. Why? And I want to be able to say, because. Why is this happening? Well, this is the reason why. And I'm beginning to discover I don't know the reason why. Rarely do I know the reason why. Rarely do I know the intricacies of what has motivated people and the consequences and the circumstances. But you know what? I've always, I've I've come to believe, I've come to believe, I've come to believe that no matter what happens, I have the great privilege of being able to tell people, the Lord won't forsake you. You see, The Lord has given you a life and love in the person of Jesus Christ. It pleased God to forgive you. It pleased God to save you. It pleased God to walk with you. And God didn't send Jesus to die on the cross and rise from the dead and ascend into heaven in order for you to die in your sin and go to hell. I don't know everything about everything. But I know that He's good and I know that He's righteous and I know that He's just and I know that He's fair and I know that Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. No matter how empty, no matter how dark, no matter how lonely, 
no matter which way the wind happens to be blowing. And in verse 23, he says, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Do you understand what Samuel is doing? Yes, you've blown it. It was wicked. But I will continue to pray for you. And I'll continue to serve you. And I'll continue to point you in the right direction. And I'll continue to do it over and over and over again, no matter what the people choose, no matter what they choose. Samuel will remain faithful to the Lord. He's going to remain faithful to God's word. He's going to be faithful and obedient. He's going to continue to pray. He's going to continue to teach them. He's going to continue to remind them about the promises of God. And you may not be able to see it. You may not be able to see the prophet with the gray hair. And the long beard. You may not be able to see the tears in between the verses. But Samuel's heart is broken. Samuel prays for the people. He continues to serve the people. He continues to lead the people and he continues to point them in the right direction. And in verse 24, he says, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart for consider what great things he's done for you. Difficult circumstance, painful circumstance. Fear the Lord. Serve him with all your heart. And now, do the inventory. Consider the great things that He's done for you. Did He find you? Did He forgive you? Did He redeem you? Did He provide for you? Has there ever, ever, ever been a moment where He's been anything other than faithful to you? In verse 25, it says, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. You know what? Even when Samuel utters those words, I suspect that he's thinking about God's word. You know what he's thinking about? Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 36. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods with wood and stone. Samuel is aware of the word of God and the revelation of God. And he knows that disobedience is going to lead to discipline and deliverance. Once again, only you know the true condition of your heart. Only you know the sincerity of your heart. And if you decide to do what's right and love the Lord now and serve the Lord now and serve him in truth and serve him with all of your heart, then you'll be able to face Everything that this world throws your way. You know, 
Every individual and every ministry will face a new challenge and a new circumstance. Every ministry and every person comes to a place in their life where there's a change. For Samuel, the change is about to happen. His role and his relationship is going to be dramatically changed. They have a king. But Saul is reminding them, or Samuel is reminding them, that even in the circumstance that they find themselves in, God is still willing to be their king. And no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, even if you've made wrong choices and terrible mistakes, the Lord Jesus Christ is willing to be the king of your life if you'll let him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the Word of God. Lord, we pray for leaders who are willing to confront sin, not to humiliate and embarrass people, but so that we could experience true repentance and true restoration, true forgiveness and true hope. Lord, we know that not everyone has the right or the privilege to talk to us about our sin. But Lord, we pray that we would allow the Word of God. Lord, we pray that we would allow the Bible to speak to our hearts about our condition and that we would be willing to accept its assessment of our circumstance. Lord, sometimes we turn a deaf ear to our wife or to our husband to our children, to our friends, to our pastor. But Lord, we pray that we would open up our heart and that we would open up our ear, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, that Lord, we would have a sensitivity of sin and a willingness to turn from it and to trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's